0: Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Good morning. I am Adam, as has already been mentioned, from Harrogate. We are another one of those churches that was planted out from Gateway Leeds, Congratulations and well done to those of you who are part of Gateway Leeds. You are a fantastic church. Really fond memories of my many years there. And I don't know what your, um, comes to your mind when you think of Harrogate. Probably Betty's, four by fours, big houses, green space, Waitrose. <clears throat> it's okay. I don't shop at Waitrose personally, some of us do, God bless them. Now in our house, we tend to shop at Audi. Come on. And uh, a few reasons for it. Number one, it is the closest supermarket to our house. Uh, There are also two things I love about Audi. Number one is it is cheap. And number two, I love the race with the checkout person at the end to see who wins as you pack the bag. I am currently eight months undefeated. You can see the sweat appear on their foreheads as they see me appear in line. Love Aldi, love a bit of competition. There is also another advantage to shopping at Aldi for those of you who have yet to have the pleasure. I might convert some people this morning. I will get to Jesus It's going to be a while, I'm just setting the scene. One of the big advantages to shopping at Audi is this. It's based on this very simple premise. You have a list of things you want to buy, and they have those things in the store, one type of each of the things. You want spaghetti, there is spaghetti. You want blackcurrant squash, there is blackcurrant squash. Just one, you choose it, it's no choice necessary. You want flour, there's plain flour, you choose it, you put it in. No decisions, it's a dream. Sometimes I do go to other supermarkets. Uh, I wonder if you can relate to the experience I had just a few weeks ago. I went to Sainsbury's, and I was wanting to buy some cookies. Whew. Now, at Aldi, if you want to buy cookies, you have two choices. There's the normal ones that are like so big, chocolate chip, about the shelves are here in my mind's eye. About here, and you can have those, or... If you're feeling a little bit flush, you can have the expensive ones, which are much bigger, dipped in chocolate. Normally, to save the choice, I buy both in the trolley. That's my usual cookie-shopping experience. But when I went to Sainsbury's, I was confronted by something slightly different. I stood there, I observed the entire aisle of biscuits, and in that moment, my brain melted And dribbled out of my ears and formed pools on the floor around me. There were chocolate chip cookies, chocolate and hazelnut cookies, white chocolate chip cookies, oat and raisin cookies, which I thought sounded healthy. They're not. White chocolate and cranberry cookies. There were salted caramel cookies. There were double chocolate cookies, double chocolate dipped in chocolate cookies, triple chocolate cookies, quadruple chocolate cookies, and a seasonal special of chocolate orange chip flavour cookies. And that was just the Sainsbury's ones. Then they had all of those again by some different brands. Then you had luxurious galaxy soft centred cookies right next to the Cadbury's dairy milk soft centred chocolate, cookies. It's dangerous to tell a story about food so close to lunchtime, but have you ever had an experience like that where you stand and you're so overwhelmed by the array of choice before you that you find yourself exhausted? I had to buy many packets to recover the energy that I had spent trying to choose from the cookies. And as I was walking away, the reality dawned on me that not only was I now spending a lot more money on cookies, but I was going to find myself dissatisfied with whatever cookie I bought, because maybe I should have chosen one of the many other options that I should have gone for. I was exhausted and overwhelmed by choice. Been there? Did you know that Tesco's has 60,000 lines of product? that it sells in its stores. Even more bewildering is that they've reduced it from 90,000. 2015, they did some research and they found that too much choice was overwhelming their customers and actually decreased their likelihood to buy things. They had 28 types of ketchup, 98 types of rice, and 224 air fresheners that were available for you to purchase. One of the big drivers behind this abundance of choice which we experience is that we live in a world that believes to be truly free, we must have unrestricted choice. It tells us nobody has the right to limit your choices, and that you would be a fool were you to limit your choices because you might miss out on the greatest experience. Our world trains us to maximize our choices, and so we live in a commitment-phobic moment in history. We live with heightened anxiety, the perpetual fear of missing out on the next big thing. And I don't know about you, but it is exhausting and overwhelming. Turns out too much choice is not good for our souls. Unrestricted choice is a tyrant I mean it by that that it makes us work harder and harder for ever decreasing gains makes us less and less satisfied with the things that we do ultimately choose but we live at a moment in history where unrestricted choice is part of the constant competition for your attention and it comes at you from all sides A few years ago, the CEO of Netflix was on a call with investors and he said to them, we do not see other streaming services as our competition. Our competition is people's sleep. We live in a moment where people are working hard to try and cause you to watch another episode instead of going to bed at a reasonable hour. There is little escape from the unceasing fight for our attention. And we have become so used to being pulled this way and that constantly in our lives by shopping, the choice on the TV, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, where we go on holiday, and all the other things, that we are losing the ability to be intentional about where our attention goes. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life. Microsoft have done some research. In the year 2000, the average adult attention span was 12 seconds. Last year, it had reduced to 8. And so why does this matter to us here today? Well, friends, simply by this. When we submit ourselves to absorbing, consuming, and participating in the constant bombardment that we face, we lose the ability to focus our attention on the things that truly matter. Eugene Peterson put it like this, reflecting with this question in 1988. Are my ears, he asks, like an indiscriminate weed patch in which the noisy and repetitive take up all the space without regard for truth, quality, beauty, or fruitfulness. It's a challenging quote, isn't it? When he wrote it, he was reflecting on one of Jesus' parables, sometimes called the parable of the sower, sometimes called the parable of the soils, It goes a little bit like this, a farmer goes out to sow seed in a field and he scatters it and finds that there are four types of location in the field that the seed falls. The third one of which says this, other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. His disciples don't understand, which is a continual source of grace in my life, I'm so thankful that they don't get it either. And so they go to him and they ask him to explain, and he says, Ah, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. The thorns compete with the seed. Life's worries, riches, and pleasures compete with the word of God in our heart." And if the thorns grow freely, the parable tells us it means that we will not mature. As Matthew puts it, if the thorns choke out the weeds, it makes us unfruitful. The thorns of life's worries, riches and pleasures, they can't steal our salvation. But if they outcompete the word for our attention and for the space and presence in our hearts, it will rob us of maturity and fruitfulness. My question to you this morning is, how is your heart? How is your heart? An author called Annie Dillard writes this very profound thought. She says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. If we spend our days distracted by every noise, consumed by the seemingly infinite choice of cookies on the shelf in the supermarket, if we give our attention to whatever is brightest or loudest or newest, we will find that we're living frantic, shallow and exhausted lives haunted by a sense of dissatisfaction, immature and unfruitful. And I'm sure that doesn't describe your life. But perhaps gives us a glimpse into the world around us. Well, friends, what I'm trying to show us is, by drawing these things together, that living in a world that never stops demanding our attention, followers of Jesus must learn to train our attention onto the one we follow, the one who gives life. Perhaps this analogy will help. It's October today, and I noticed that no one is, Oh, one man is now wearing shorts, Last week at church, so they're shorts everywhere, and they've just disappeared as I've traveled around this week. Congratulations. The temperature's dropped 10 degrees in the last week, and summer seems like a few years ago, I'm sure. But some of us will have been able to go on holiday this year. Some of us may even have been fortunate enough to go on holiday abroad, maybe to a European resort. And there's one thing in my experience of just a few holidays abroad to European resorts, particularly those that are designed for British tourists, is that they are all united around the Strip. It's the street on which you can find everything. Whatever cuisine you want, whatever souvenir you want, whatever nightlife you want, you can find it on the Strip. You only go there when it's dark, And when you go there, it is an overwhelming experience for the senses. You with me? Can you picture it? There are neon lights down both sides advertising what's going on. The noise of music blares out of every premises, colliding in the middle. The smell is freshly applied perfume and aftershave. Because everybody on the strip has been at the pool or the beach all day and then has gone inside and got themselves ready, liberally applying their best perfume or their best aftershave for their night out. The women tend to wear maxi dresses, brightly colored, that they never wear at home. The men, they join in with very garishly patterned shirts and white trousers, that again, they never wear at home. They look the part and they smell the part. And as you walk along the strip, navigating between people who look good and smell good, you are confronted by everything you could ever want and never want. First, a man will come to you trying to sell you a watch. You're there with me, aren't you? You're right, present. I can sense it. On the face of the watch, it says Rolex. The price he's asking for it causes some doubts about the authenticity. If you don't want a watch, he also has some necklaces for you, which look very shiny, but I guarantee to turn your neck green. Once you get past him, there's another seller who has on their stall fridge magnets and lighters, box openers and friendship bracelets, all of which will break on the second use if you can get past them because of course you're on the strip looking for dinner you will encounter people trying to tempt you in to all kinds of restaurants they'll tell you they have authentic chinese food even though you're in greece best steak in town we have good food for your kids coca-cola I don't want to give my kids Coca-Cola. It's half past eight at night. Do you know what will happen? How do you survive navigating the strip in the midst of that melee, the microcosm of our culture as it bombards you from all sides? Well, it's funny you should ask. There is one good way of navigating the strip when you go out, and it is this. Decide where you're going beforehand. You get yourself on TripAdvisor and you find which restaurants you want to go to and which ones you do not want to go to. Then you check on Google to make sure that someone hasn't fiddled the reviews on TripAdvisor. You look at the photos, you read through, you see what people have had, you make your decision. Today we are going to Papa's Authentic Paella. You gather everyone around, you say, guys, we are going down the strip. And I've already decided we are going to Pappas Authentic Paella anybody who calls your name ignore them anyone who says would you like look eyes front if someone stands in your way you smile you're polite you say no thank you move them and keep walking eyes front at all times papa's authentic pilot is at the end of the strip it's got a great view overlooking the beach look at the photos And then as a team, you set out down the strip to get to the place that your eyes are fixed upon. Been there? Fix your eyes ahead. We are going to get paella. It's going to taste of saffron. It's going to be chorizo and king prawns. Let's get there. Or as the author to the Hebrews puts it, And I'm convinced at this point that they too have been meditating on Jesus' parable of the soils. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Note, not everything that gets in our way is sin. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The only way to resist the relentless choking of distraction, the only way to resist life's worries, riches, and pleasures, is to set your eyes on something that you have chosen to forsake everything else to obtain. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that it's as we fix our eyes on Jesus that we find the alternative to everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles In a world which never stops demanding our attention, followers of Jesus must learn to train our attention onto the one we are following, the one who gives life. My friends, Jesus is the one who is worthy of our attention. Jesus is the one worth selling everything to obtain. I checked. Before we hit the strip I've read the stories I've seen what people have said there is only one place worth heading tonight and it is to be with him. One thing I've asked of the Lord this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty Of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. If you're a follower of Jesus, the very life of Jesus is within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. His victory has moved you from the kingdom of darkness, from slavery to sin, from the very depths of ignorance into His kingdom of light with purpose. Calling and destiny, along with all of his holy people. And so, the question before us this morning is what do you want your life to be? Immature? Fruitless? Or a life fashioned after Jesus himself? A life that knows the fire of kindness in his eyes. A life that experiences the relentless torrent of mercy from his throne. A life that knows and enjoys the quiet waters of his kingdom where the weary and exhausted find rest for their souls. Fix your eyes. Jesus, train your attention onto Him. So, pastor in Melbourne, Australia, you may have heard of a guy called Mark Sayers. He frames our situation like this: the greatest challenging of follow, <laughs> the greatest challenge of following Jesus today is not secularism, nor persecution but that we're told we can have everything else as well as Jesus. My friends, history is punctuated by the quiet and anonymous pursuits of people who encountered Jesus and realized that nothing else was worth having apart from Jesus. Yorkshire and the northeast is crying out to be punctuated by people like you and me who encounter Jesus and realize that there is nothing else worth having apart from Jesus the call to follow Jesus in our day the call to follow Jesus in 2023 is this commission followers of Jesus must learn to train our attention onto the one we follow the one in whom we find life we're to be those who resist the allure of keeping our options open it's a poison it's time together to throw off the tyranny of unrestricted choice and embrace the freedom that comes from single-minded living knowing that we've chosen jesus and him alone jesus only jesus got a couple of minutes of practical application and then i'm going to invite us corporately to fix our eyes on jesus i'm going to invite you to respond particularly if you want to ask jesus for his help to cut back and uproot thorns in your life that are choking out the word just warning you if you need help to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles we're going to come to jesus for that in a minute but first three things super simple things That I am trying to work into my life and I'm finding helpful as I try because, man alive, I am a learner. I have not got this sorted. I'm learning just like you, just like the person next to you. The first is this breath prayers. You may have heard of breath prayers before. When I find a moment spare, maybe the kettle's boiling or I'm in a cafe meeting someone and they've gone to the toilet, or I'm waiting at a bus stop, I could reach for my phone or I could pray and train my attention onto Jesus. Now we're charismatics, most of us at least, and one of our pitfalls can be that we tend to prize novelty and spontaneity over substance and intentionality. I'm just putting it out there. Breath prayers are an ancient practice, an ancient monastic practice where you pray as you breathe. The most famous is one called the Jesus Prayer. You may have come across it. Pete Gregg talks about it a lot. You breathe in and you say, Jesus, Son of God. You breathe out and you say, Have mercy on me. The monks used to pray, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm not too keen on calling myself a sinner before God because he calls me a saint. I cut that bit out. I breathe in, Jesus, Son of God have mercy on me. It's hard sometimes to know what to pray. It's nice to have a script ready for you. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. There's a couple of others I like to use. I breathe in, I say, here I am, and I feel how I am. The tension, the nerves, the excitement, the sore calf from playing football two nights ago the jealousy I felt at whatever that happened and I breathe out, you are here. Here I am. You are here. Do you want a third one? You love me. And I love you. Breath prayers are a very simple way of training our attention to Jesus and I would put it to you are far better than anything you will find in your pocket. Second thing I'm trying to build into my life is bouncing my eyes. When I was a young man, and I know some of you think I'm still young, thank you. When I was a young man, I went to a talk for young men and it was unsurprisingly about lust. And the person speaking talked about the technique of bouncing your eyes. If you see something that you could be tempted to linger on, that would not be good for your soul. Bounce your eyes onto something else. If you're struggling with lust, great first step. Enormous pitfall, what are you bouncing your eyes onto? Yes, the reflex of bouncing your eyes off something you probably shouldn't look at is good. But where does it go? Where does it go? go i'm much better bouncing my attention from whatever i'm doing whether that's something dangerous or something mundane onto jesus onto jesus it's a reflex we can all develop yes in the midst of temptation but also in everyday life last night i got my son we has a swimming lesson and we walked out the sky was pink with the most beautiful sunset we stood there for two seconds wow look at that sunset All it takes to bounce your thoughts is, wow, Jesus, what a beautiful sunset you've created. We acknowledge that beauty is from the Lord. We acknowledge that purity is from the Lord. We acknowledge that justice is from the Lord. What do you think about when you walk along the street? I tend to envisage myself being the hero in a game of football. (laughs) Beat a man, score in the top corner. I'm trying, you can pray for me, to bounce my attention instead of being the hero of my own story that I'm making up in my own brain onto the one who is the hero of the story. Breath prayers, bouncing our eyes and attention. Number three, we are charismatic, so let's do praying in tongues, shall we? I don't know about you, but I am not very good at praying when I'm tired. I was expecting more nods. (laughs) Wouldn't it be helpful if there was a gift from God, say, that enabled you to pray from the depth of your spirit without having to engage your exhausted brain? Wouldn't that be a helpful thing? Huh. There is one. It's called the gift of tongues or the gift of languages and similar to breath prayers in your spare moments, it's far more effective than whatever is in your pocket at training your attention to Jesus. I found the discipline of intentionally choosing to pray in tongues more in my life incredibly beneficial and it's not surprising. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Sounds good to me. Romans 8, he says, the Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray. Praise God. Praying in tongues is a gift. A gift that I think is coming into its own in our distracted and exhausted age. Should we use it some more? Build ourselves up in the Lord. Those are three very simple practices I've found helpful as I'm learning, just like all of us, to train our attention to Jesus, to ignore and say no to the peddlers of dissatisfaction in our lives, the constant call for my attention, and instead say yes to the one in whom all satisfaction for our souls is found. Band, do you want to come back up and... Get yourselves ready. We're going to, in a moment, turn our gaze together, fix our eyes onto Jesus, worship him together. I'm conscious that we've come this morning from many different places, different backgrounds, different stages of life. The front is very empty now. All the kids have gone out because we've come from different places this morning. And if what I've been speaking about this morning has not landed for you in the slightest, if it doesn't feel relevant, if you feel like you've got plenty of energy, if you feel like you're not hard pressed from every side by constant demands for your attention, if you feel like you've mastered the art of silence and solitude with Jesus in your life, praise God. (laughs) And in a moment, as everyone around you responds, why don't you stretch your hands out and pray a blessing on them? Freely you've received, now freely give. If you're sitting there thinking I've had some word of knowledge or prophetic gift to nail how you feel this morning, let me assure you it is not prophetic and it is not a word of knowledge. It just comes from simple awareness of what's going on in the world around us. Coupled with the provocative call to follow Jesus sacrificially in our day. If you know that the soil of your heart is overgrown. If you sit here this morning going, do you know what? Thorns are growing. And if I was truly honest, they are choking the life out of what God would want to do in my life. There's good news. We can all approach the throne of grace. Grace. And we can all find help in our hour of need. And I'm about to invite you to do so. My friends, all that we are and everything that we have are his. Bought by the precious blood of Jesus. It's an incredible story Chris just shared of that lady. Leaving her home and everything in it. It's not yours, but all of heaven is yours. My friends, Jesus does not neglect us. He does not forget us. We're not in this on our own. The seed in our hearts, if you are a follower of Jesus, is the very word of God and it contains everything it needs to grow in your life and bear a harvest 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. If the soil of our hearts is soft, if the soil of our hearts is free from rocks, if the soil of our heart is not choked out by thorns. And so as we sit and look at our hearts and our lives right now, if it's dawning on you that maybe, just maybe, it's time for some gardening, if it's dawning on you that Perhaps your heart is somewhat untended and overgrown. There is grace flowing from the very throne of God to turn the soil of your hearts over this morning by the power of the Spirit. To cut down the thorns, the worries of life, the riches of life, the pleasures of life that we might find fruitfulness and maturity in Jesus.